Thank you, Nathan. I just want to say how much I appreciate Nathan and uh, the men of the church that lead singing. I'm thankful uh, for just the excellence in music. I'm thankful for, I even like when Nathan gets after us a little bit because, you know, human nature is we get a little lazy, don't we? And uh, so Nathan's always there like the boot camp music leader. I think I'm on there, Ryan. I'm good. Okay. But I am so thankful to have someone who looks at it as unto the Lord. And I think we are missing that today. Ministry is being carried out in ways that is dead, it's cold, and it lacks relationship. And so I'm very thankful for that and thankful for the music ministry. Appreciate the Andrew keeps up with all that, picking the songs, making sure everything is put together and everybody's where they should be. And uh, just so, so, so thankful for that. Go ahead and be turning to Joshua chapter 5. And as you're turning there, um, you know, my thoughts and where the Lord took me in this. Uh, by the way, Ryan, it's Resting in Victory is the, is the title of the, the message tonight. Um, you know, we got to learn how to rest in the Lord. And we need to be able to give attention to the fact that God's in control and that we trust Him and we have faith uh, that God will provide. And when we go to Joshua chapter 5, we'll pick up on here and, and look at some things rushing across several chapters, and don't worry, uh, we'll make it even as faint as the clock is. I'll try to get us out in a decent hour. That being said, you know, I was thinking the other day, um, I was uh, struggling a little bit, you know, when we talk about the promised land, it is about resting and enjoying the things of God and, and allowing uh, God to work on behalf of the children of Israel. And so much of that is going to be related tonight and how we use that um, and how it fits with the believer and, and the life that we have. And I thought about how sometimes you know, our trials can all be different. They can be financial. They can be emotional. Uh, they can be all kinds of things. They can be you know, the, the relationships and day-to-day struggles and things that we have. But none points it out more for me when I have a struggle. And I'm just going to be really transparent here. So you guys are okay to come into my world, and I'll be vulnerable for a moment. And uh, I, was, uh, I was having that toothache. Abby, you understand. We've been there together. It's like we've been through that battle of the dentist looking at you going, hey, it's time to have that uh, root canal. And... Uh, But it was amazing. I was sitting there throbbing in pain. And uh, I don't trust my dentist. um, And I don't trust anybody in the office because I think they are out to to harm me uh, terribly. And uh, it was amazing that day, though, when I went in, I rested in the fact that they knew what they were doing and that they were in charge. It was amazing. The great fear that I had for the dentist to go in there and sit down in that chair. And when you sit down, they immediately disarm you by kicking you back in a reclined position so that you cannot defend yourself well. And so usually I'm laying there, and those of you who could watch this, you would enjoy it. You'd probably pay to watch it. Um, I do dig into the seat every once in a while, and I get really nervous, and they haven't even entered the room yet. And so, you know... When they do come in, if they start saying, oh, ah, that's the worst thing that you can get, um, you know. In fact, one day the, the dentist said something like, look, look at this, and he called another person in, and it was actually an appreciation for something good, but you know what I'm thinking, right? I'm almost up, out, and out the door by this point, um, but he was, he was just pointing out something, you know, mundane, but he get nervous, and Our life is so busy, and we get excited, and we want to go and go and go. Uh, We want to do for ourselves. We we want to escape trouble. We want to get away from the things that hurt. We don't want to touch the kitchen stove. I understand it, but sometimes we still get burned, and bad things happen, and we go through life, and we we have our struggles, and we go through so many things. You know, when we look at Joshua chapter 5, just to set the context for you, we do have that the children of Israel, when they came into the promised land, they remember they crossed the Jordan. And when they crossed the Jordan, they had their, their, their sights set on dealing with the enemy. Dealing with the enemy. You know, we think about the enemy that they would face. Granted, I'm thankful that Christian life for us is not completely like that, even though it would be rather simplified to go and just take out nation groups. Um, 
you know, as opposed to dealing just with our individual struggles. But I can tell you this, when your life is on the line and you're going to go fight, what a tremendous burden that would be to know that, hey, I could possibly die here in the promised land. But, you know, they had put all the wilderness behind them. And what was required for them to step into the promised land was that they had to go get their feet wet in Jordan for it to open up and for them to come into this land of rest. Now, we'd be kidding ourselves to think that this was a land of rest in the sense that there would not be battles, you know. And when we think about uh, peace is not the absence of conflict, you know. There's going to be conflict in the promised land. When they come in, they know that they must deal with this area in a way strategically that, that has to, they're going to come right through the middle, they're going to head south, and then they're going to go north. So they're going to have a central campaign, they're going to have a southern campaign, and a northern campaign. By the way, in World War II, that's how we conquered, that's how Palestine was conquered in that area. They actually did it in a very similar way. You know, it's either World War II or World War I, don't hold me to that. But anyway, you look that up sometime. But they actually followed that same pattern. There's, a, there's a, a high point there where the Jericho area is where they're going to go into. You know, as we think about Joshua chapter 5, though, and as they stepped across, and uh, the first point I have is preparations for victory in verses 1 through 15 here. And we see here that they're going to be dealing with some things. Um, you know, but when they step into this area, they come into an area called Gilgal. And this area of Gilgal is a place where they're going to first conquer, not Jericho, but guess who? You said, who else was there? There were no Gilgalians there. Okay. Who would they be conquering? Well, let's look there and see. They would, God is going to stop them, and they're going to have some spiritual values, some priorities and principles that they're going to, they're going to look at here. And they are going to become invested to a level that, that they've never been before. They wanted to come in and triumph. Um, you know, we look at this in verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of the Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart, what, church? Melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. You know, we're going to identify an enemy, and the enemy you might think are these people where their hearts are melting. And I can tell you this that anything in this world that today we see as the, the emanation of something wicked and something wrong and something that is a lie and something that uh, we would go through, we don't need to fear that. Uh, it, all of it, all the things that are not inconsistent with God and who He is, we call it sin. You can go to Romans chapter six and see where even sin itself. It, he, you know, Paul said, "Likewise, reckon ye also to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord." In verse eleven, there, and he talks about not letting sin reign in our mortal body. In verse twelve, you know, there's a reason for that because sin. Is, 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 is not going to have the victory in our life. Here, when these, when these people, they're going to come and deal with them, the victory was already handed to them. And much to the same for us, if we think about resting in the promised land and moving from carnality uh, into a mature Christian walk, we can understand that just like in Romans 6, um, you know, and, and you're familiar with those passages that, that grace and, and that we have to live the Christian life is there and uh, that we are not servants of sin. Uh, verse 20 of chapter 6 in Romans says, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things wherefore ye are now ashamed? You know, I'm so thankful when the Bible talks about the fruit of the things that you were once ashamed. He's speaking of sin and for the end of those things, he said, is death. Let me tell you something. Everybody that opposed the children of Israel as they come across had to fear one thing, and that was death. And they were scared because, you know what? That whole idea of truth was preeminent. It stood in direct opposition to them. And as we think about the fact that we as Christians and we think about the application for ourselves, 
We recognize the same thing. In fact, he talks about being dead to sin and that the fruit of those things whereof you're now ashamed. As a Christian, we can look back on our, on our life uh, before we were saved and we can say, you know what, I'm so glad that I've moved on from those things. Now, some of you, life, you know, maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you don't have that contrast. But I can tell you this, for people who have gone through and lived in the sin of the world and come out and said, you know what, none of them ever said, you know what, now that I've lived this Christian life, boy, think about this. What if somebody were to get up and say, boy, alcohol really changed my life, really enjoyed it, and it was really good. And, man, if it weren't for alcohol, just things wouldn't be the same. And I, you know, how about, how about the smoker? i tell you what, sure, I'm glad for cigarettes. I'm glad somebody made cigarettes. Pornography, gambling, whatever else you want to add to it. Nobody gets up and goes, boy, the fruit of those things is death. It's not life. And we recognize that. It's an easy choice when we're really uh, considering it. I don't have to get up here today and talk about how those things bring death in your life. But, you know, we can understand also that for the children of Israel, when they came into this land, they were being opposed by the enemy. And it is such a great picture of what we're opposed with. And, but when we look at this, we see the powerless of sin. We see the powerless of, of spiritual darkness and that which is going on at this time. And um, in fact, in Colossians 2 and verse 15, it says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. I don't want to lose you tonight because I know that there's a lot of contrast here and comparison that I'm making to the Christian life. But understand, where we're at in chapter 5 is, is a great picture of the promise of rest for the children of Israel, but the promise of rest for the believer in a life of faith. And when we understand the enemy that they faced, his, their hearts melted, I can tell you this, uh, sin and death has already been conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ and it has already been vanquished and it is ours to claim. So tonight in the spirit of appreciating resting and victory, and that's really where we want to be. I think so many places in our life we think we're losing as, as, as the cause. When we think of the cause and we think about what's going on. And so many times we want to get busy with things. We want to see things happen and jump on movements and try to see things occur and that we, that we feel like will bring popular, bring popular opinion again to Christian values. And yet we don't see that happening and it can become very discouraging. You know, when Joshua got over there into the promised land, they did not run out and start targeting Jericho. That was, they, had, they had spotted out. They knew what was going on. But at the same time, Joshua stopped because the Lord told him to. You see, the first thing that they had to deal with, the first people group they had to deal with, was not Jericho. Who was it? It was themselves. The nation of Israel was the first nation to be conquered when they come into the promised land. You say, well, that's not fair. I understand, and I purposely do that, and you know how I mess with you. But... And when we look at it and we see in verses 2 through 9, it says, At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives. There again, we're back in the dentist office. I'm getting nervous because there's going to be some commitment here. And circumcise again the children of Israel the second time, not that they did it the first time, but the idea that circumcision was being reinstated in the sense of we're going to do this. And they needed to have that taken care of. And, of course, all of us know that this procedure and what's going to happen will make them very vulnerable. It will make them vulnerable to attack. And if they do not go in and directly deal with these kings, there is a chance strategically that they will have lost the, 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 the whole uh, point of surprise. They've crossed the Jordan. These people are in fear. We got them on the run already. And yet they're going to stop and go, wait a minute, let's circumcise all the fighting men. And they put themselves in a bad position, and it was by the world standard. It was not a good place to be. And he, he goes on and talks about how they walked in the wilderness for 40 years in the wilderness. 
And it says, Till all the men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, and to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us, a land that floweth with milk and honey. I'm in verse 6 there. In verse 7, And their children whom he raised in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not uncircumcised them by the way. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt uh, from off you, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. Or Gilgali means that rolling away. And the idea of circumcision here. And it was so important that they identify with holiness. And that's something we've lost in our churches today, is this... Uh, this adherence to God's holiness and understanding that programs will not solve. You know, we can't run out here and start targeting with programs that out there when we need to deal with in here. And that's the first thing we need to conquer. Listen, if you're sitting here tonight and you think, you know what, there's some things we need to do as a church, you better long have considered what there should be done in your own personal life before we can act corporately. We have to act individually and we have to examine ourselves, and we have to know. And circumcision was this idea of identification and separation and, and putting together this, this, uh, this, this preparation, really, that from Genesis 17, we know that um, God had commanded that to Abraham, and he, he gave it with the covenant there, and he told him, he says in verse 10 of chapter 17, this my covenant which you shall keep between me and thee, between me and you and thy seed after thee, every man child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between twixt me and you. Why, why, why is circumcision the first thing that they do? It's because of the second thing that they do. Look there at the uh, verse 10. It says that they kept what, church? They kept... The Passover, that's right. And we understand that this is the only the third one that's been kept by this point. The first one was Egypt in Exodus 12. We know at Mount Sinai just before they broke camp. They did it in Numbers 9. And now they're going to partake of Passover. And Israel, of course, would relive their deliverance out of Egypt and understand what it meant to be saved from that. Egypt is a picture of the world and what it meant to be saved. Obviously, the wilderness was a place of growing and maturing and that they might learn... Uh, to trust God and have faith in Him. We're going to have a very unique understanding of their faith in, in as we go through this, this portion of Scripture. And we know that they, this Passover would remind them of their deliverance and redemption, but also it would also look forward to their victories to defeat the Canaanites and uh, understanding uh, eventually one day it would pick, point out to the Savior and understanding how our, He would be sacrificed for us. You know, but we, we got to deal with things, and the Passover was an important part of that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul said, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Passover was a way for them to identify and understand uh, that holiness to the Lord was so important. And as we think about this act of worship, it was a, a way of examining themselves. And we understand that. We do the Lord's Supper. We understand that examination. And a lot of times we come to the Lord's Supper and we think, you know what? Boy, I don't want to take on word, Lily. What about us getting up every day and considering whether or not we live the day unworthily? And I think about the fact that they come to Passover. It's not a one-time event. It really is to remind them of their walk with the Lord. And so they've got the identification of circumcision. They've got here the Passover and the relationship that they need to understand and, 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 and check themselves for what they, uh, where they stand with God. And then verses 11 and 12, it says, And they did eat of the old corn uh, of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And so they begin to eat there, and they begin to do that. It was promised to them in Deuteronomy 8, verses 7 through 9, that God will bring them into a good land with brooks of water and fountains and depths and springs 
out of valley and hills, land of wheat, barley, vines, fig, fig trees, and pomegranates. You know, it speaks of an, an really a new beginning for them, an opportunity to live in the, in the promised land. And they no longer would be fed, but they'd be expected to, in, uh, to work. And, and it does take work when we're resting in victory. And that work would be to, to grow and, and use the soil and use the resources that they have, and this land would produce. And here you have, you know, God ceasing the manna. The manna's going to stop. You're stopped being spoon-fed. You're out of the wilderness now. You're out of this immature uh, approach. And then we, so we see that it's circumcision, Passover, and manna ceasing. Those are three key points. And, of course, we had the, the enemy, their hearts are melting. And we see all that going on in preparation for victory. And we understand that these people had to be conquered first and their will had to be conquered first before they could go into the promised land. But, you know, as much as I think of Joshua, Joshua had to be conquered. And you say, boy, Joshua's a good guy. Careful there, Brother Hoy. You're going to really cross the line here. Well, in fairness, I will be careful. Uh, because he, Joshua, of course, a type of Christ, and what a wonderful example he was through the Scripture. But there were some things that his perspective had to be righted. And uh, in verse 13 there, this is the preparation of leadership we see happen in chapter 5. And you need leadership to be in the proper role and the proper position. In verse 13 it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is what, church? Holy. And Joshua did so. You know, it's, it's the people had to prepare their hearts. They had to be conquered. Leadership had to be prepared. And leadership, you know, I think about the fact that Joshua, and I'll speak good about Joshua in this point, that he, you think about the fact that he's out there. Remember, everybody's back here, and he's out there, and he's walking, and he's surveying the Jericho walls. He's understanding the lay of the land, and he's trying to figure it out. And he's thinking, you know what, I'm going to go get a battering ram and some ladders, and we're going to scale this thing. There's only one problem. They don't have any battering rams. They don't have any ladders made. They don't have all the things that you, hey, we're going to create a siege. That's what we're going to do. We're going to cut these people off. Guess what they had done long before they got there? Jericho did what? What did they do? They shut the doors. You know why? Because they were ready. There are springs inside of there. There's food in there. Jericho said, you know what? We choose to outlast you. We choose to outlast you. Joshua has to be thinking, I wonder how long we can last. By the way, in other battles where Israel faces other enemies, when the enemy flees, what's left behind most of the time? Large volumes of sustenance. Do you think they're carrying that? They're not ready for a siege. Joshua has to be prepared. So he's out there looking. Joshua says, you know what? The enemies of God are in this land. And I represent the cause. I represent the effort, and i got to lead these people into battle. We've spiritually gotten them ready, and now i got to figure out strategically how we're going to do it. He comes to this point, he's standing there, and he sees this man with the sword drawn in his hand. And I can tell you this, you know, Nathan, head of the security team, he's a pretty open guy as far as, you know, he gets it. If you need to carry, he, he's okay with that. But if you come in, with yours drawn ready, I don't care who you are in this church, you're going to have Nathan's attention. Right, Nathan? I mean, even if I pulled mine out at the draw ready, I mean, Nathan's going to move towards that, right? He's not, he's, Brother Hall, what are you doing? You okay? You sugar low? What's going on? Um, you know, but he's, he's going to check that out. 
because Nathan's not afraid. He's not like, you know, some, some people in our nation that run away from things like that. He, I believe our men are brave and courageous men. I believe Joshua is a brave and courageous man. I think he realized, you know what, all my people back here, and he's not. He's not one of ours. So I need to find out, are you for us? Are you against us? You know, I've always been told, in fact, I had an, my boss for many years told me, he said, Howard, there's always two sides to a story. And so every time I give my side, I knew he had to find out what the other was to figure out where, he says, it's always in the middle somewhere. I was like, no, I'm right. Just, just take that. I'm right. But he would never take that. And, you know, you always hear about there's always two sides. Well, tonight I'm here to tell you there's a third side. <laughs> because that's what he... The answer seems nonsensical. He asks a question that grammatically doesn't seem to fit the answer. Nay. No. No. You see, in leadership, it's important for us to realize that when it comes to spiritual leadership, Joshua is not the captain of the host of the Lord. And does he recognize it fast? What does he say? What saith my Lord unto his servant? The reason why we got a lot of people out there doing things nowadays, by the way, and they think we need to get busy and ministries doing a lot of things that God's not in is because man believes that the effort is on them. You and I can start believing, boy, it's all on us. If we don't do it, poor God's never going to make it i got to help God in the fight. I'm coming to his. Hey, you for us, you're going to join the cause? And Christ says, by the way, we know this is Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he accepted worship. This is not just any angel. And Lord Jesus Christ says, no, you're in my cause. You come to my side. That's the side that matters. I think so many times we get caught up in which side is what and, you know, what does God have to say? Where do I stand in contrast to that? Joshua here, of course, he lacks all the abilities to, to do whatever he wants to do. He doesn't have the battering rams, the catapults, the scaling ladders, the moving towers. He doesn't have any of that. That's not yours to worry about, Joshua, because I'm here. I'm the captain of the host. What, what were you doing out here, Joshua? Were you, were, what were you looking for? Nothing. I just knew you would show up and we'd go in there and take this thing. No, that's, Joshua's thinking, I was thinking I was going to have to go deal with that. Lord Jesus Christ says, you know, he's going to deal with it. And so he gives this answer to him. And, um, you know, we, we try to, so many times we're like, well, I want to pray that God is with me. You know, and we even pray that way, right? God be with us. I get, I, get, I get why we say it that way, but you know the truth? We need to be with him. <laughs> Are we with him is really the question. You know, we, we have all kinds of things that we want to do, and, and certainly it's a joint venture. I, I do not want to over, you know, over, overstate the fact that you know, as I look at this, I, I see that this is a joint venture. And by the way, this is one of those points where Calvinists would have a struggle, right? Because there is a balance of the sovereignty of God and free will of man in operation. He's using them in their free will, but also showing his way as sovereign and that they are to trust him and follow his leadership. But the supreme commander is the Lord, both for Joshua and for our life. You know, we look at this, he, he's the one that had come to take charge. I think so many times the reason why we get distressed, depressed, angry, anxious, and everything else in between is because we think we're the ones holding all of it. But God comes in a very real and personal sense, and his supply and his power and what he provides is far more infinite than anything we can generate within our own heart. If we're not careful, we'll carry that burden that we were never meant to carry, and we'll struggle and we'll say, you know what? I feel like I'm standing all alone. I think there was another guy in the Bible who did that. We talked about Elijah in Sunday school. It's easy to get that way. 
You know, I think about the fact that Joshua, no doubt, had been prepared well. I think about being around Moses when Moses says, The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace from Exodus 14. Later on, David had the same perspective. The battle is the Lord's from 1 Samuel 17. He asked, what, what do you want me to do, Lord? What shall I do? I'm ready for orders. And he said, go get Jericho right now, right? What did he tell him to do? Take off your shoes. See, that's our problem. We don't want to address holiness, but I can tell you this. When an entire nation of people walked across, God made them vulnerable to all the nations around them in this area of holiness. And he does so individually with Joshua and says, you're not going to get told anything until you get those shoes off. You say, well, that's not the kind of God I want to serve. Well, that's the kind of God he is. He says, I'm in charge, I'm in control, and I can give you the truth. If you'll follow me, you'll be successful. You'll have victory. Guess what he does? He takes the shoes off. That's what we need to do is live a life of obedience and holiness. And, you know, I think about the fact that, that God's not going to jump at the opportunity that you're willing but we need to be willing. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't say, well, good, he's ready to go, let's go. He says, take your shoes off. And in leadership, that had to be dealt with. And we see here that this attention to the holy ground, we understand that the warfare of the Christian is a holy calling. It is also a divine undertaking and just like we think about from 1 Peter 5, 7, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Joshua had to humble himself. All of that was for preparations for victory. We have not shot the first arrow. We have barely swatted a gnat, and all we've done is work in here not out there. And I think so much of my life, I want to live out there and want to go deal with what's out there as the temptation. By the way, the devil knows that that'll sidetrack you, keep you busy with what's out there instead of dealing with what's in here. Some of you can stand up, go to a rally. You're probably willing to die for some things. But get up and truly meditate and think on God throughout the day, the hardest battle you ever face. In chapter 6, we pick up there. We understand that God here, who is faithful, you know, we think about that verse in 1 Corinthians 10 13, God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. Would temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it? They're going to be faced with a temptation to not listen to run away and not face what's in front of them. God's going to put them to the test. We don't always understand God's ways. And we understand the Bible even tells us that, that they're not, you know, our ways are not his ways. It says, Now Jericho, in chapter 6, verse 1, was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I've given unto thy hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And you shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt, thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down, uh, flat, and the people shall ascend every up, every man straight before him. You know, I think about this. You know, he tells them there, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. It's already counted. It's already done. All you have to do is trust me. And I can tell you this, that was a very mature thing for them to understand. It's a very mature thing when, when a new Christian gets saved and sits and begins to serve in the church and are presented with biblical truth, and, and hey, listen, this is what you need to do, and they follow it. It's a very scary life. You're, you know, boy, you're making yourself vulnerable. 
your, your holiness is being emphasized. But none of it happens. Listen, none of it happens. What he gave them an instruction seemed crazy. And what do you not see in the chapter preceding with Joshua as, he, as he's dealing with things there at the end of that chapter and the beginning of this chapter? You don't see anybody arguing with the plan. Because the plan, you know, as we see it here, this plan, this is plans for victory now. The plans for victory, you don't have to worry about it because if God said it, then we do it if we're living holy and righteous before him. If we're willing to trust him and say, you know what? It's the truth of God's word and what he says that's the most important in my life. And I'm willing to take whatever. If he tells me to run out there and charge with a feather, I don't care what it is. I'm going to do it because I know it will be successful. It took all that preparation in chapter 5 to to have the circumcision, to have the Passover, to cease the manna, to challenge the leadership for them to understand that, you know what, we're going to go walk around the city. Makes absolutely no sense in the world. You know, and, and we think about the fact that, you know, doubts that the Israelites may have had had never come out during this story. And, you know, I, I look at this and, and see that there are people here who just walked across a dry riverbed. And they just spent a lot of time with God in chapter 5 in Gilgal. This is a different people than the ones who were whining about quail and who's in charge. You know, you, you look at this, and, and God is moving and working in a special way here. And they, in unquestioning obedience, they, they faithfully here will, will take these instructions. He tells them to take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear with seven tr- uh, trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he tells them, he's going to tell them to move on, move forward. Pass on, he says. He gives that command, and it's crunch time. It's now the acid test. It's, it's being able to know, where. hey, are we ready to move? Can you imagine how crazy it would have looked if Joshua would have said, let's go, and then he just walks alone out into the, the sunset there around the city, and people are not going. But that's not what we see here. These people said, you know what, this is what we're going to do. And so, you know, you see here a demonstration of faith that I can only imagine that Joshua and Caleb had to be thanking God for. These were guys who tried to go in there initially, remember? No, we can go, we can do this! Everybody's weeping and crying. It's amazing what those people's children were doing. You know, by the way, it's one thing to have a group of people hooting and hollering, it's another thing to have people go in completely quiet. Every day they walked around that wall, they appreciated how tall it was, how big it was. And when you're quiet, guess what you're doing? You're thinking. You do some thinking sometimes? I do. And I can tell you this, the things that I think, I am never the best counselor for me. I have gotten into some negative thinking at times, and I have to go, what are you doing? Why would you think negatively? Like what? And usually it's about something, what, that has never happened, probably never will happen, but it is the greatest fear that I have, Right? And I'm just thinking about it. I'm actually playing it out in my mind. And it's not going to happen. You see, when you get Brother Hull some help, well, I think we'd all, if we're honest, admit, you know, our minds, it's hard to get control of them when, when you're quiet. By the way, that's the reason why people need so much noise in this world. Because when it gets quiet, it is so hard. Because then all you can hear is, you know, the chatter in your head. These people are walking, they're moving, and they're obeying. We see next the performance of victory in verses 8 through 21. And we really see this, this, this idea of, uh, uh, you know, as they've, as they've conquered 
inwardly um, themselves. Now we'll see that they'll be able to conquer the task ahead, the temptation that they would face to, to probably run or not, not participate. It says there that they took up the ark in verse 6. They're going to go around. God is with them. And pay attention to that fact. The ark is amongst them. It is in the middle of them, and it represents God's presence. Keep that in mind as we go through this. And it says there that they went around it once in verse 11. And they keep doing it, and they keep talking about that. And, and in verse 13, we see that they, they're bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns. And, you know, the second day, they go on the third day. Eventually, they get down to the seventh day. In verse 16, it says, When the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all therein, to the Lord only. And I can tell you this, with that excitement, it's amazing to me, okay? Because if I got a bunch of people shouting and ready to go, I will forget all else. What's the first thing he remembers after they get ready to charge the battle line? Look down in there, it's there. Very first word. What does it say? Verse 17. Or actually, second word there. Only Rahab. Let me tell you something, guys. We're getting ready to take Jericho, but we made a commitment. She's a harlot. She was all, we, she, 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 he says, you know what? She's important. Isn't it amazing how when you're rested in victory, you're not moved by just excitement. You are principled in the way you behave. I guarantee you that day I'd been challenged. It had been too late. I said, oh, Rahab, I forgot to mention it. She shall live. And then he tells them this. Oh, 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 hey, keep away from what? That's right, the accursed thing. Listen, guys, just like when Moses, remember, he had to keep going down off the mountain and setting up fences to keep you all back. Listen, I, I'm, I'm worried about you all. Please, please don't. Please don't do that. You see, when a leader has yielded himself to the captain of the host, you know, he's running the safety meeting, right, for everybody else. And look, I'm just a middle manager here, okay, guys? When we go in today, nobody touches the accursed thing. The one's taking the stuff that they're not supposed to. Oh, Rahab, remember we got her? Yeah, she's on a work order right here. It says, go pick her up. That's your team. Go get her. You know why people aren't functioning in churches and, and, and performing in the body of Christ their gifts and what God's given them? Because they're just looking for excitement. And they're not rested. And they constantly have to be pumped up. And they're not doing what they're supposed to. Let me tell you something. Joshua and these people are focused. They go into this with God's presence. He's there with them. Tells them not to touch those things they shouldn't. It's amazing how the battle is so non-climatic in some ways because they, we spend more time talking about the preparation than we did the actual battle. The battle's pretty easy. It's in the product of victory in verses 22 through 27. He tells them to go in, save Rahab. By the way, that would have been a funny sight. Because when the walls fell flat, so if you think of the walls up on a hill, when they fall flat, what do they make into a city? They are the steps into the city. Do you, do you know how easy it was? to identify Rahab because when everything flat, where did she live, church? On the wall. So what was still standing? Yeah, her section of the wall. She's standing there like, okay, we're still good. Where's she at? Are you blonde? <laughs> go to the only thing that's standing. And so they, they go and they save her out, and that's the product of that. And, of course, they burnt the city with fire. And he, of course, tells them he puts a curse on that place. Later, be, that curse will be realized in the time of Ahab. And uh, verse 27, read that right there. 
So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. And boy, isn't that great as a leader when you get your fame noised throughout all the country? Um, but it can also be very disar- it can disarm you from what you're really about. You know, we think about that. That's the peril of victory in Joshua chapter 7. We pick up reading there, and a lot of people, when we see this, we're going to go, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about Achan, and we are. But in verse 1, this is, the, this is the third conquering that goes on. You know, we dealt with the enemy. We've dealt with themselves. But, you know, we come back to this, and we think about the corporate responsibility they have to be close to God because in verse 1 it says, but the Achan, right? No, the children of Israel committed a tre- trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. You see, in a life of holiness, in a day of being aware, you know, even Job, what did he do for his children even though he knew nothing about what they had done wrong, he sacrificed for them, didn't he? You see, holiness will demand that. We're not, we're not going to play around with this. This is going to be right. And we see here that victory always has the potential to be followed by defeat. And we see this here that they, they are, you know, they, 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 they really do not trust God at this point. What's getting ready to happen is grieving the Spirit of God and quenching the Spirit of God. And um, the next thing you know, Achan goes in. Of course, he does. He's, he's, he's faced with a temptation. He's in there, and he grabs of the accursed thing, and he takes it in. He lingers there. He's tempted by it. He's drawn by it. He says, you know what? I want that thing. And he takes it, and no one else is the wiser. And he goes, and he hides it in his tent. And... He's much like Esau, the profane person, a fornicator. He sold out the entire group for things that he never could really enjoy himself. Paul even had this same focus when he talked about the church in 1 Corinthians 5. You know, talking about them going to lawsuit against each other. He says, Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He, he's de- you know what he's dealing with in that chapter? He's dealing with the church and how they were behaving. And he had, there was corporate responsibility to one another and not take each other to court and to be doing the things that they were doing. Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven, loving the whole lump. And, of course, we know in Psalm 139, 1, God's omniscient, right? It says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. You know, Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but, whosoever, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You know, we know that God's anger now is kindled against Israel. And in verses 2 through 5, we don't have time to get into it, but there is a defeat there. And they, you know, we think about this, that they are defeated. And, um, you know, when, when, when Joshua was approached, you know, um, everything that they had did in preparation from Jericho, they did just the opposite in dealing with Ai. No one said, hey, remember that thing we did before we started? <laughs> no one does that. Remember when I told you to pay attention? What was present with them as they walked around the city? What's not present with them going to Ai? The ark. God's presence doesn't matter. You know why? Because we need to hurry up. We just finished Jericho. Check. What's next on the list? AI. Good. Let's go. Really? Really? Because everything I saw in preparation for Jericho was everything was focused on holiness. Everything was focused on internal inspection of where we are spiritually. And now we're just going to head up to Jericho, I mean to AI. And we're going to do it without the ark. 
You know what? Achan deserves a lot of credit for this defeat. But I can tell you this, long before Achan affected them, they affected themselves. They are culpable. It's the reason why they remained ignorant of his sin. It's the reason why they underestimated the strength of the enemy. It's the reason why they overestimated their own strength and took God for granted and presumed on the Lord. If we're not careful as Christians, we can equally do the same thing. I can tell you this, everyone needs to slow down. You ever get too fast when you're doing something and you make mistakes? We need to really evaluate what we're doing for the Lord. Before we walk out that door, before we go out and minister, before we go out and spend time reaching others, because if we're not careful, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to get ourselves in a really, really bad place a place of failure the men of Ai driving them back you know the Bible says that they when, when they were there they, it says they, they chased them in verse 5 what happened to the hearts of the people look at it church what happened in verse 5 their hearts of the people what can you tell me the last time we saw melting going on where was it? I can't hear you. What? I said, I'm talking about melting. The hearts of the people melted. Jericho's, yeah, Jericho melted, but there was a corporate melting of the entire land of Canaan in chapter 5, verse 1. So they're experiencing the same emotional distress that the people of Canaan are. They are depressed, they are discouraged, they are disoriented. And they look in every direction for the defeat, except where? Themselves. Could the problem be us? Could it be? I mean, we're trying to, we're doing, we're doing the cause. We're in the cause. We ran immediately from Jericho to Ai. We're ready. This is a sprint. Let's go. Where's God? We're doing, we're doing the cause. We got this. And then the worst thing that could happen, and, and this really stood out to me when I was looking at it. You know, the people's heart melted, and I expect them to do what they do. But who else falls apart? Joshua. You think you're above it? man like Joshua, and I can tell you this, Joshua's head and toe, he's way head and shoulders above me. But in verse 6, it says he rent his clothes, he fell to the earth. I mean, you, you look at his, his charge toward God there. He says he fell to the, upon the earth before the what? The ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the elders of Israel put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast... Who? Thou. Does this feel like the same prostrate Joshua back in 513? Doesn't look the same at all. Things change rapidly, quickly. Thou and all brought this people over Jordan. Wherefore hast thou brought all this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God had we been content and dwelt on the other side. Whoa! He might as well be the people telling Moses, let's head back to Egypt. Maybe that's where we need to go. Oh, Lord, what shall I say? Well, when did this become about you, Joshua? When did you care about what was said? You just used to be caring about what God said. When Israel turneth their backs before their enemies. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. 
And what will thou what will thou do unto thy great name? You see the consternation. You see the complaint. You see the questions. The first question: why, Wherefore hast thou brought all this people over? You know, God's not in. He's not in control, and He's merely tricked them. And and, and you know that that's everything starts to fall apart here. By the way, for a believer who loses their way in this and is not resting in the Lord, we start to become insensitive to the person of God, His plan, His promises, and His purposes. It never entered Joshua's mind that God may have had a reason for allowing the defeat. It never entered his mind. For the believer, we need to keep that in mind. Things don't work out the way we think. There may, God may have a reason, and it may be a good one. I say that tongue-in-cheek. He makes his first statement. That's the first question. His first statement was, Would to God we've been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. You know? By the way, we do the same thing. We want to back up, go in reverse. That's the temptation. Looking for the good old days. Second question, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? What are you worried about everybody else complaints? There's only one person. Joshua, when you were standing there before the captain of the host, it was you and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now you're worried about what everybody else is going to say? Who cares? They won't follow my leadership now. I just led them into a defeat. That's the problem. You led them, not God. We got to get out of the way. He makes a second statement to him in verse 9. Talking about the Canaanites and the inhabitants there, you know, worried about what they think. You know, that this is going to provide some beachhead for the enemy. God can handle that. How about, and then the third question, what will thou do unto thy great name? God, you just messed up your name. You just messed up your name because you're not with us. Now we're back to his cause again. No, it's God's cause. God will protect his name. He'll lift up his name. Verse 10, we see the directions from God. And the Lord said unto Joshua, keep laying there, right? No, get thee up. I love this. Verse 3, get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon thus upon thy face? And then he said, it's real complicated, right? No, Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except you destroy the accursed from among you, up, sanctify the people and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel, and thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from you. Listen, the first direction to Joshua is for him to get up. Get up and get off your face. And this is not lying prostrate in a place of humility. By the way, you can lie prostrate in a place of pride. And you can say, you know what, I didn't deserve this. I deserve better than this. You shouldn't have brought me to this point, God. And God says, well, wait a minute. You just, first of all, you need to get up. You need to get up. Why have you fallen to your face? I think about the fact that he calls out the cause of failure. He says, it's real simple. They've sinned. They violated the, the, you know, the covenant here. They've taken something that won't theirs. And they've hid it. You know, and you say, well, this don't seem very fair. Because Achan did that. Think about all those people. No. That this is an important point. And if we don't get anything else tonight, we need to understand that corporate responsibility does not begin... Hannah, can I pick on you? 
you can handle this? Okay. Corporate responsibility to each other is not me going, Hannah, now I saw you down at the beer hall the other day. You need, you need to get right. Now I'm gonna, we're going to keep this church pure. I don't know what you were doing down there, but Hannah, that was wrong. Boy, he just caught out the aching in the camp. I mean, it was Hannah. She's the one that did it. We went out on visitation and had a bad night, and it's her fault. That's not the focus here. You see, if I want to protect Lighthouse Baptist Church, it's not me pointing at Hannah. It's me pointing where? You say, but how will you find out where the aching is? Don't worry, God can take care of that. How could have Israel known? Well, let's go back to chapter 5. Let's start with how we do it. And God can deal with the aching. But you never let him. Because you said, you know what? We're good. Let's move on. Listen. I would hate to think that we sit in church and go, you know, I wonder if it's Chris. I wonder if it's Chris. That's the problem. It's not Hannah. We don't have to be paranoid like that. In fact, we shouldn't be. <laughs> but when we all live holy unto the Lord, I believe God protects. And I believe things come out. Eventually, things come out. God reveals it, doesn't he? We think about targeting the Achan. But God says Israel has sinned. Gives directions for the people of how they're going to identify this. Do you think God could have given those directions before they went to Ai? Yes. We would have had a corporate calling. Okay, thank you. Next group, move. Okay. By the way, I'm thinking what Aiken's thinking as it keeps moving towards him, right? Um, you know, in verse 13, Joshua's told to consecrate the people. There again, we're dealing with personal holiness and to deal with the problem. You know, Joshua understood at this point. He finally gets it. You know what, folks? This is a little more complicated for me than I expected. I, I thought we were just going out there to fight people, and we're not. It's about holiness to the Lord. In fact, one of the ways you know this is that after they go back and they ambush the city of Ai as under God's direction and leadership, we see in Joshua chapter 8, in fact, if you look there, verse 33, it says, In all Israel, this is after they're done with that, they come back, they're standing here on two mountains. And all Israel and elders and officers and their judges stood on this side of the ark and on that side before the priests, the Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord as well, the stranger, as he that was born among them, half of them over against Mount Gerizim and half of them over against Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the what, church? cursings, according to the, all that was written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers and the conversant among them. And we see here that Joshua understands, you know what, guys? All right, that's enough training <laughs> for war running to the next battle. You know what we need to do? We need to hear God's word. I'm going to put this group up over here, we, like he was commanded to do, put this group up over here, and we want to hear God's word read. One group given a blessing, the other group given the cursing. And, you know, until you and I, if we want to rest in victory, and that's what this comes down to, we've got to appreciate God's truth in our life. We need to understand and appreciate the relationship that we have personally with him and that we come away understanding that it's our holiness before the Lord that matters. There's a lot of things that we can do out there. There's so many things. Listen, we can, we can get busy. 
we can get into causes that are beyond what the Lord wants for us. But at the end of the day, it all comes back to us individually. And we have to make decisions that show that we're resting in victory. All along the way, they were making choices. They were making choices. That's the, that's the privilege of service. Let's just make sure that the choices we make are based on God's word and the Spirit's leading and that we're faithful to obey. Took you through a lot tonight, rained you through a lot. I felt like there was a, a context there, though, of those three chapters that you miss when you break them apart. All the way from the preparation of victory to the product of victory and the peril of victory, you know, I see that the only way we really get rest in victory is to lean on his word.